Welcome to the Rodeo Labs podcast. My name is Logan Jones Wilkins. You may remember me from the episode where I went to Stillwater, Oklahoma to talk to Bobby from Mid-South, but today we're doing things a little differently. Joining me, as always, is Stephen Fitzgerald. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, um, but it's not going to be as always for long, is it? That's true. That's true. We're, we're changing things up here. Yes. You, is this the Logan Jones hostile takeover? I don't think it's hostile. I think it was the <laughs> agreed upon takeover, but. It's the amicable takeover. You are uh, taking a lead as the podcast uh, host and organizer, I guess from here on out. Yeah. Um, it's exciting. We're going to have other voices too. Um, downstairs, Cameron who's the mechanic at Rodeo. He's also interested in podcasting. He's studied philosophy in college. He's got a lot of interesting ideas. So he'll come on and help me with a couple episodes. We'll try to get everyone involved. But it's really exciting because we have this platform. And because of the nature of a small business, it's hard to get consistent stuff out if it's just from you guys. So part of what we're hoping to do is to make this something that's regular for me, something that's part of what I do for work and hopefully create some really interesting stuff for all of you listeners. Yeah. And, and we want, I think what I want for the podcast is more plurality, more voices uh, in the mix, more people who feel empowered to speak up. So my dream will be um, like just more people here at rodeo telling different sides of what we're up to. And then you leading the charge. So you're sort of semi-internal, semi-external, um, telling stories, uh, doing more in-depth stuff, highlighting people that are in orbit or interesting topics that aren't happening necessarily inside the building as well. So I want to cover a, a more broad spread. Yeah. So from my background, um, I'm studying journalism. This is my last year at the University of Richmond, studying journalism and politics, philosophy, econ, and law all together. Um, but through my studies, I've kind of leaned more towards the storytelling aspect. So this is a chance for me in my senior year to sort of stick into something and try to do some interesting journalism slash storytelling with Rodeo, which I think is something that we've done a little bit through the journal and we've done through the podcast, but this is a chance to go deeper in different topics that interest us, everybody here at Rodeo Labs, um, maybe interest some of you out there who are listening. Feedback will be always encouraged. Um, but it's just a chance for us to take a broad approach and to really look at what we are as storytellers as much who we are as people who are, are, are selling and building and playing with bikes. Um, that being said, today we're kind of pointing it back internally to look at something that has been brewing for a while at Rodeo and something that I know you and everybody who's involved with the company is very proud of. Yep, it's uh, it's it's TD four. It's the TD four episode, is it not? It's the TD four episode. Yeah, and it's a good. It was a good opportunity to um, share the microphone and tell the real story about uh, you know what goes into putting that bike together, making it exist, and who uh, has been leading the charge, making making it exist, which. Uh, I always, I always bristle a little bit like when people are like, Hey, good job, Steven. Uh, you know, like when they're commenting on rodeo and they're like, Hey, uh, good job on the bike, Steven. You know, thanks for taking care of me, Steven. And then I just want to shout like, no, this company is far from the Steven 
show anymore. It's this huge team effort, uh, or at least huge for me. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was Stephen does everything. Uh, and now there's, you know, seven or eight of us here doing everything. And it's, it's important to make everybody else visible and to say, yeah, Stephen does some stuff too, but like <laughs> TV4 yeah. is like kind of somebody else's. It's a group effort, baby. It is a group effort. And I, I was able to sit down with Drew um, and we talked for a while about the bike and we've been talking about the bike for, for months now. So this was a conversation that was sort of built upon a lot of anticipation and a lot of iterations of what that bike was and what it was going to look like. And it was really exciting to talk to him, someone who's sort of more behind the scenes, but who's been really instrumental in, I think, the growth and development of the company over the last couple of years when I've been involved and to know someone who has made your life a little bit easier. So it was great to chat with him and, and highlight what he's done with this bike that I think is really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, you know, I'll be visible around here forever because I'm not, I'm not afraid to just speak up and talk and overshare, but like a lot of people don't know that Drew has been around rodeo uh, for a really long time almost back to the very, very, very beginning. And he was really someone who stepped in when it was just me and my shed in the backyard and said, I don't really know what you have going on there, but I like, I like how it feels and I want to figure out a way to be a part of it. And he, he's got, you know, some blood, sweat and tears invested in, in, in like early rodeo when it was just a huge mess. And he, it's rare when you find somebody to step into a mess and say, I don't really know where this mess is going, but I like it and I want to help. Um, so there, there really isn't a lot here at rodeo that Drew hasn't touched. Uh, but he's such a modest guy. It's like, come on, Drew, speak up. And he'll be like, no, yeah, I'm just gonna have you. you know? <laughs> it's like, so I'm, I'm glad Logan that you have extracted, uh, the story out of Drew for this episode. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's kick it to my conversation with Drew and then Steven will be back after the chat to talk a little bit more about the bike and a little bit about how you went through the process of um, being sort of an overseer and less of a, of a technician. So uh, thank you all for listening and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Logan, I haven't seen you since last year. I know, I haven't seen you since last year. <laughs> it was actually only a couple weeks ago when I was visiting the lab. This was the first time I'd been in the lab since TD4 was launched at the Philly Bike Expo, and we thought it would be a great idea to sit down and have a chat. Me and you talking about the bike, talking about the design process, and talking about what made this project so exciting for you. Because I don't know if the listeners know, but you are the guy for this bike. You are the person who's really been in charge of every step of the design process. You are the director of product development, and this is a product you have developed. So walk me through a little bit about the origin stories of the TD4 and what it was like to get a feel for developing such a complicated thing. Yeah. Um, man, I guess I guess to start off, uh, I'll, I'll just... 
say really quick, like nothing at rodeo is done by a single person. This was like, we had so many meetings about high level ideas for the product. And I guess what really kicked it off, what really started, um, the idea was that the trail donkey and flanimal platform has, have always kind of piggybacked each other. So, um, we came out with the flanimal tie and it had the same tire clearance as the flanimal steel. It was made out of, you know, the ultimate lustworthy material of titanium. And it just got to a point where with the clearances and capability of those frames, the slider dropouts and everything, it, it, felt to us like the flanimal tie had leapfrogged the trail donkey. Uh, it's, it's still a perfectly capable bike, but uh, there were just kind of some features that we were looking at um, that we thought was an opportunity to, to get both of the, you know, trail donkey and flanimal platforms uh, to a point of parody. So uh, that combined with, um, you know, Stephen has written a bunch of articles about, you know, manufacturing um, and trying to develop new product through, you know, the COVID landscape and just combined it, it was a first, <laughs> it was a really big, scary challenge, but it was the first challenge of, okay, well, we need to develop a new bike. And it appears that, um, you know, our existing network of manufacturers aren't going to help us with that. So, all right, let's get our hands dirty. You know, the companies that are really going to revel in this landscape, you know, being COVID are going to be the ones that don't just kind of coast on the industry blowing up. And it, it was an opportunity where we said, all right, this is the time where we really have to hit the grindstone and, and, you know, put in long hours and, and kind of learn something new and increase our capabilities as a company. So, um, that, that was, that was kind of the groundwork of it. Yeah. It's interesting to look at from the outside, what seems to be this, this really, the strategy of sort of alternating between the flanimal and the trail donkey. Um, but also knowing a little bit about what goes on on the inside and know that there isn't so much that kind of centralized intention that other bigger brands might have of, Oh, we want to have a three to five year cycle between releases of this iteration of frames, but it's, it's sort of organic in that way that you sort of piggyback off of the, the different bikes that you guys have. Yeah. Yeah. We are not that calculated at all. There are no uh, industry landmark charts or anything. We don't strategize how are we going to position the rodeo brand? It's always, uh, you know, we're riding one day and we go, Oh, I think we can do that a little better. Or, you know, I think, I think there's an opportunity here. Or, oh man, I could really use some 2.4 inch tires right now. You know, it's just, it's, it's very organic. And, and, you know, when we come up with names for things or, uh, you know, new products, it's, it's usually the things that we're just joking about at the office and we go, oh, well that made us laugh way too hard not to, not to try to bring it to market or call something that. So, um, yeah, we're kind of the anti- corporate branding and it's it's for me been so refreshing and it's so fun to be a part of so you talk about it being refreshing and i think just we started the conversation about the bike but i feel like it's important to to go backwards a little bit about you and your career and who you've been because <laughs> you pop in and out of this <laughs> podcast you pop in and out of the journal but all of what we know about you is sort of 
kind of secondary and in drips and drabs. And obviously Steve is so forward about who he is and who he's been, but I kind of want to turn the attention to you and give you the forum to tell a little (laughs) bit about yourself and your journey to this point, because even though you're developing bikes now, you haven't been developing bikes. You haven't been an engineer. You haven't done sort of the technical, typical build up to what you're doing yeah. now. So I want, I, I want to I, ask you, like, where did you start and, and how did you end up here? Yeah, I, I have not, am not, and will never be an engineer. Uh, I will fake it. I will try to leech knowledge off engineers around us as much as I possibly can. But um, yeah, well... Oh gosh, I don't know. Like you, you kind of know my story to some level. I don't know how far back you want me to go. Um, I guess, like, I'll, I'll start. You know, um, I moved out to Colorado. Um, I had an athletics background uh, through college, and I got to a point in my life where I had a fork in the road. I could either, you know, pursue professional sports in some level, or I could just kind of close the book on that chapter of my life and move on to something else. So I got accepted to grad school at the University of Denver, moved out here 12 years ago. And that was just kind of my retirement plan from that phase of my life. And I started getting into bikes um, around the time I was leaving Illinois, where I'm from. So come out here, join the University of Denver cycling team uh, and realize that as I got into bike racing that I was still kind of burned out on competitive athletics. So I, I made the decision to just ride for fun. Um, and that's one thing that I think really resonated with me, uh, when Steven was starting rodeo, um, just kind of like I moved to Colorado cause I wanted to do adventure. I was into hiking, snowshoeing, just exploring the state. And, and, you know, the, the, rodeo brand isn't strictly about that, but it is something where you don't have minimum race requirements or, you know, it's not completely oriented around racing. And, and that just aligned with, um, what I was trying to find in the sport or activity. If it's not even a sport, it's just an activity like snowshoeing, you know? So, um, it just resonated with me really early on. So I, I finished grad school you know, learned I really enjoyed riding bikes and I got, you know, a big corporate job, you know, insert a stadium name uh, here, you know, one of those big corporate companies and just realized that that was not the culture for me. Uh, So I kind of uprooted my life. I left that job and decided I wanted to be in the bike industry. So I I quit the job cold um, and just you know, started, started trying to get into the bike industry any way I could. And it was a grind, um, a lot of hours and shops and, and just kind of gradually trying to increase my capabilities and transition from, you know, what I went to school for, it was business school and it was brand management. So marketing and then hitting the real world, I found I had a, a passion for design and photography. And then, you know, that also aligned with me and Steven. And I felt like he was just a person that I had a lot to learn from, um, especially when he was starting rodeo. And I, I wanted to be a part of it and help any way that I could. Uh, Cause I saw how thin he was spread and uh, it, it's just kind of taken off from there. And it's been, uh, you know, the evolution of my skills, if you'll call them that or capabilities has, has always just been, 
organic in that I just look at, you know, the company that I'm working for or the things that feel like I'm becoming passionate about. And I just learn it on a project basis primarily. So, you know, I do like certifications or things like that, but it's very much, uh, you know, all right, I want to make a down tube shape. How do I do that? You know, or how do I, how, how do I lay out like a parametric parametric bike geometry, uh, to, you know, design a bike around and, uh, just a lot of <laughs> Googling and like learning how to do things and just, and just figuring out the small steps and creating the bigger things. So, um, the amount of trail donkey little drawings and scraps that are just piled up in a digital and physical waste bin, uh, are, are it's pretty crazy, but yeah. So do you, do you consider this to be sort of a capstone of that journey? Obviously you're not done with rodeo labs, but is this sort of the, the final step for you making this pivot? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Like the, the moment where it really got real was when we got the RP or rapid prototype. It's just a 3d printed complete frame to scale. So we got a 58 centimeter trail donkey four. 3d printed and we had it on show at Philly and we received it in the mail and I pulled it out of the box uh, and I was like, this thing that I've been staring at, uh, you know, in the form of a bunch of ones and zeros in the digital form for months is a thing that I'm holding now. And that was, that was really the moment where it hit me of like, Oh my God, this, this is a thing that we created. Um, and that was, yeah, that was a really surreal experience. So that was cool. Yeah. I remember seeing the 3d model, I think in July, and we talked about the bike in sort of abstract terms in May and it it was sort of like, and even Steven sort of hinted at it even earlier. So like, I kind of knew something was brewing and And then, of course, seeing it at Philly at the end was really, really great. And I want to get to that later. But okay, like returning to the design process, you've talked about the scraps, the scribbles, the the online elements, and just your your tinkering. Um, yeah. How did that tinkering begin? What was that first decision you made? Oh man, yeah. Well, so I guess to start, uh, like I said, it was just kind of learning the fundamentals of the software and how to best build a file out. And that's something we're still continuing to learn, especially as our team gets bigger is how do we, you know, make these files so we can all work on them together. And it's not just a sloppy piled mess of of like the intricacies of how I figured out to do things. So, um, I mean, we're still navigating that, but it was, it started out with learning how to make a parametric design for, um, a bike geometry. So you create a sketch and then say you, uh, you set a restriction on your head tube angle and your head tube length, and then it's going to automatically adjust the rest of the geometry to fit to that. So, um, you know, BikeCAD is a software that a lot of people use that, that does that. Um, but really building it out in this 3d design software, um, really allows you to design the rest of the frame around that. So, um, yeah, that was the big thing was making a 2D sketch of, of this thing. And then uh, at the same time, making a high level list of, okay, uh, what do we want this bike to fundamentally be? We know that we want it to be, uh, you know, 
kind of on the same level as far as uh, capabilities is the Flay Animal platform. So, okay, cool. Like tire clearances, chain rings. And well, a big thing with that is slider dropouts. Okay, that's really complicated. Let's punt that one for now. <laughs> We're going to work on a front triangle because rear triangles uh, turns out are, are a bit more complicated than a front triangle. So um, yeah, that was, that was kind of it. And then just making your 2D drawing. What do we want the shape of the down tube to be? okay, well, I want it to taper this way and just kind of coming up with a design language for it uh, while checking off those kind of minimum requirements or the wish list for capabilities. Mm -hmm. So it seems like you have a wish list, right? And you've got wide brackets around it where you're like, I want maybe this and maybe this. Maybe I want it to have this more upright geometry and maybe I want it to have this clearance. And then as you go through the design process, those kind of barriers shrink a little bit and you can find a little bit. Is that sort of how it goes? Yeah. A few things fall off the edge of the plate. We're like, oh man, that would have been really great, but it's just not in the cards right now, you know, or, and and you realize working with manufacturers too, that there's a certain percentage of things that they're just going to push back on because we don't make it easy for our manufacturers. We push hard on them. We're a total pill to work with. Um, but we've, we've built a network of people that understand what we're trying to build. And, you know, when we used to get questions of like, you guys want what size tire? Nobody's running tires like that. And it's like, no, but they're going to, you know, and, and we have a reason for the madness and you have to get over that barrier with your, your manufacturing network. Uh, and, and I think that we've done that and there's still a certain percentage of things that are just going to get pushed back on, or something's going to take a lot of time to develop and it's just not tenable for now, but it's still in the bank of wacky rodeo ideas for the future. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And then that's kind of where we're at now. So I, you know, I'm super impressed that uh, we were able to come up with a design where we don't have to do a drop stay. It looks like a fast road bike, uh, but you can still put it in absolute party mode uh, like the flannel. So yeah, it's, I mean, you know, while in any design process, there are going to be some small sacrifices. I, I think that what we've created is just something I'm immensely proud of. Yeah. It's kind of on that same ethos. You're operating in a, in a company that had a very successful, very revolutionary bike in the TD3. Like I've ridden that bike for 25 thousand miles over everything it's hey, hey this, isn't a, this isn't a contest we, we i know, know i know we know, we know. <laughs> but what i'm saying is there's there's this expectation that rodeo is going to make something that pushes boundaries that's going to be different how yeah. was it working on something that you were trying to do that you were trying to make new while living in that idea that you're going to have expectations for this thing whether it's internal expectations with Stephen, or external expectations with all of the the bike culture that looks at tech and looks at gravel bikes as sort of, or trail donkeys or, or whatever you want to call this genre of bike as this kind of fluid concept. How is it dealing with those expectations versus you trying to do something creative? Yeah. I, gosh, it's kind of hard. I, I, I guess everything that we've always done has come from a place of just these really rough ideas that we have and it comes from a really organic place and we put it out we don't really worry too much about what 
people are expecting from us because that's when you just end up coming out with the same bike as everybody else if you're just keeping a pulse on what everybody else is doing and oh well people want this and I, I think what we've always done is just listen to ourselves and what we want. And that seemed to resonate. I think that there's some level of validation in our ideas at that point. So yeah, I mean, it was really stressful, uh, like leading up to Philly, uh, you know, the bike launch and everything, and even just making sure our show booth all went together, which is a whole nother episode we could do. Um, it, it's, it's stressful at times, but it is really energizing and it's fulfilling work. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I always say my best days are the ones where I lost track of time, just trying to get stuff done. And I leave the office feeling more energized when I, than when I got here. And that happens more often than not. Um, so yeah, I, I guess, you know, we don't really worry too much about external expectations and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves internally to make the things that we want. And, you know, when things are kind of slow to get going, it's frustrating, but uh, we know that we have the capability of making these products now. And it's just a <laughs> sheer brute force of wanting to see these things exist. Uh, mm -hmm. Cause we know that we have the capability to do it now. Yeah. And, and talking of those capabilities, um, I think it's really interesting how rodeo has grown kind of literally up. Like you have yeah. three floors <laughs> in your headquarters. Now you have an yeah. engineer on the top floor, Cade. Yeah. You've got, yeah. you know, command sender with Steve, you in the middle, and then you've got the shop on the bottom. How do you think that growth allowed for you to build this product in a different way than Steven was doing in 2017 when he was ready to launch the, the trail donkey three. Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, really what it's, what it's done and it's, it's expensive to grow as a company, but it's, it's just given us more control. So, uh, you know, really early on how Steven designed bikes is he would go to the manufacturer and say, Hey, here's my idea. I want, you know, I mean, the first trail donkey was just, an open mold cross frame. And he said he wanted disc brakes on it and he wanted dropper post routing. And that was it. And then you just look at the evolution. So, uh, you know, the second trail donkey, same core features, actual unique molding for it. But, uh, I mean, same core things. And he had some input on the visual elements of it and it's just, progressed from there. So, you know, we're working on like the down tube cover latch mechanism and, uh, you know, what we've done is we've taken full control over it. So we're not saying to the manufacturer, Hey, uh, we need some kind of latching mechanism. Well, no, we thought of an idea on a really cool latching mechanism and we completely, I mean, like with Cade, we engineered the thing from the ground up and it's awesome and it's super clever. It's super unique. And that's something that we wouldn't have had access to before. Cause a lot of times what they do is they just take off the shelf parts and repurpose them to your frame. So uh, I would say it goes from, it allows you to uh, like, we used to have creative control over the larger product and larger visual elements and things like tire clearance, but now it's every little bolt um, on the thing we've refined to be exactly what we want. And like I said, it's expensive and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of attention to detail, but it's something that 
we look at and there's just that knowledge that it's completely unique to us and something that we've completely created. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I think that sums it up. I think that it is? Is, okay. presents the, right. the development really well. And this is a perfect segue. Thanks, Drew, to oh, talk about welcome. what we have. What's the finished bike? I mean, I've seen it. I've talked about it a lot to the point where my voice was almost gone. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I really saw it for the first time and then started to kind of figure out what it was when I was talking about it. And I'm sure I'll figure out more of what it was when I start to ride it. But yeah, uh, most plainly, like, how do you define the TD4? What bike is it to you? Uh, honestly, to me, both in the design and the construction, the, the relationships that we've been able to get with higher level manufacturers and people that just do things to a different standard, it's, it's just the evolution of the Trail Donkey platform, I would say. Uh, you know, like everything down to its full monocot construction now, which is something that we just didn't have access to before. And there are a lot of ways to build bikes. Um, but just, you know, the way that this bike is constructed is, is just fundamentally uh, a more complicated and higher level product. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think, you know, you look at the first trail donkey, which was open mold, you know, maybe antiquated construction methods, or at least antiquated now, um, you know, uh, thing off the shelf to now we've refined every bolt. It's, you know, cutting edge construction methods. It's, you know, on parity with the flannable platform, as far as, you know, having slider dropouts, tire clearance, you have internal frame storage, and it's just, it's kind of a next chapter. It's the evolution. So, Yeah. Yeah, have you so have you had a chance to ride it or are the sizes I, just in people who are smaller than your six yeah. five, six, seven frame? Unfortunately I'm very large and my frame size is the is historically the last one that will go to tooling. So um luckily Steven is slightly smaller than me, so I can kind of fake a fifty-eight frame size, but uh yeah, I'm definitely waiting for the sixty-one tooling to to get cut. So yeah, uh, we, yeah, might have but, to, we might have to kick it to Steven after the episode to, to get that first ride review, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, I did have the first ride on a built frame though. Uh, and I was just giddy. Uh, I have a trail donkey three and I still love that bike so much as its own thing, but the ride quality is just, it's, it's, fundamentally different and, and also just looking down and you know we did the fully integrated cable routing on it so just looking down and not seeing brake hoses and cables going down into the down tube it was just it was it was strange but it was yeah it was it was cool it yeah. was really energizing it was like oh my god this thing is really good <laughs> all right so this is a perfect so. chance to enter the weeds let's talk about parts and specifics Okay. First up, let's talk about that cockpit, the integrated headset. Yep. Why go with the option to have an integrated headset? Uh, I think that there are some people that just want that. So for me, uh, I pitched this idea to Steven to go integrated in the cockpit because I always remember looking back, I, I always was passionate about watching cyclocross. 
um, and just seeing the evolution of bikes for, you know, like Vanderpool and all these top level cross racers and just seeing how clean their builds were. I remember it was going from two buys to one buys at first. It was just like, oh man, that thing looks so sleek when you take a front derailleur off and there's only one chain ring. It just visually looks, looks faster. It looks lighter. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of the thing is, Hey, this internal headset thing is really taking off in the industry more products are becoming available, but there are some major things about it that especially mechanics do not like at all. So one thing that we had an opportunity to do, and I don't understand why other people aren't doing it is people only make the bike compatible with one type of routing option. And there's, there was no downside for us to accommodate full internal, uh, what are we calling it? Full internal or no, fully integrated, semi-integrated or, uh, you know, traditional internal down tube routing. Um, it's just, I, I don't understand why people aren't doing this. It, it seems yeah. so simple. And, uh, it was funny when we first posted the bikes on the internet, we put in the copy, you can route this, the cables on this bike any way you want to. Uh, and people would comment and they would go, Oh, internal routing. Why did you guys do that? And, it was really obvious who was just looking at pictures and not reading the caption on it as yeah. opposed to, you know, the people that read it and it was just like, you know, read the caption again. You don't have to do that. So it was uh, funny even in Philly and we'll talk about this later, but there was people would be like, Oh, it's, it's internal. What? I don't really like internal bikes. And I would literally like almost take them by the hand and be like, well, come over here and you walk yeah. around the corner yeah. and there's another bike with a totally externally routed sort of relaxed gravel design. And it's like, you can really pick your own adventure. And that's something that I really appreciate about the bike. And also brings me to the rear end, which I think is another part of the engineering that you spend a lot of time on the slider and what mm. that could lead to. Um, so why'd you go for a slider <laughs> instead of a standard through axle? Uh, yeah. I mean, the slider was again, just to, to get it, um, you know, on the same level as the flannel, as far as features, I, it's, it's one more thing. It's at the core of our company that we want to build platforms that people can do whatever they want with. So I remember, you know, I was on the original, the flannel 1.0 prototype crew. Uh, and the idea was we're making this steel frame platform and we want everybody that gets one to build it a different way. And I remember that frame, I think. I think I built it five different ways, whether it was two by gear, drop bar, single speed, flat bar, single speed, one by drivetrain. You, you could just, as soon as you got bored with it after six months or two years, you could break it down and build it up completely differently. Um, so that's always been at our core. And a fun thing about the Flanimal is that you can adjust the geometry based on the type of ride that you're going on or the tires that you have on it. Uh, so, you know, what we wanted to do is we wanted to make a slider system going back to the visual element of it. Uh, you know, traditional slider dropouts aren't aesthetically super clean. <laughs> so, yeah. so we wanted to come up with a slider system that just looked like a classic bike, you know, like you, you give a five-year-old a pencil and you say, draw me a bike. Uh, that's basically what we wanted the thing to look like. Just clean lines, minimal um, light looking, like I was talking about with the cyclocross bikes. Um, so yeah, it, it was just, uh, you know, sitting there looking at our dropouts, 
looking at a trail donkey dropout and how do we kind of integrate this into one visually clean element? Uh, and it took some revisions and, you know, some failures and, uh, yeah, it's, it seems like it's worked out pretty well. So. I hope the listener has kind of understood all of the little intention behind the different parts of this bike. Um, but there, there's so many other small moving parts that I like, don't think we can go into each in detail. Yeah. Um, but I like out of the rest of them, what are, what is something that you're proud of that you want to highlight? There's going to be a full write-up and there's going to be a gallery and we're going to have a lot more to come about what this bike is and what it looks like and what it does. But like to sort of sum it up, what of the other parts of the other little intricacies are you sort of most excited about? Oh gosh. Uh, Okay. So I'll give you two answers here. One from an overall build aesthetic. I love the direct bag mounts where you can just bolt a bag. There's no straps going over your top tube. I've, you know, worn my finish off with, with straps going over my frame tubes. And I'm so stoked to just have little direct mount bag mounts. So it's just visually clean again, going back visually clean, you know, um, Mm the thing that I'm uh, arguably most proud of, and it's, it's, we kind of refer to it as the piece of jewelry on the bike is the seat post clamp. Uh, just how it's integrated into the shape of the bike. Uh, you know, we're debossing TD four into it. It's just, it's just a little piece of flourish in the overall aesthetic. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could have come up with a slightly lighter, uh, you know, seat post clamp design. That's, that's more traditional, but that's just the thing where when somebody's riding it, uh, you know, I've ridden with Steven and it just kind of catches your eye. It's, it's, I think what we're talking about is just always making those silver. So it's that little bright work that, that pops and grabs your attention. But that, that's, that's just a thing that I look at and I'm like, Oh, it's just beautiful. It's just, it looks so good. (laughs) I remember, especially at Philly with, um, Ridge supply, Matt always being the most, he had the gold, the gold painted seat clamp yeah. and you're like, Whoa. And yeah. I know it's silver's silver's probably the way to go. I, that gold paint might be a little heavier, but it was just <laughs> like, this is this little cap that just sort of like the cherry on top visually yeah. of the yeah. whole bike. It's just, it's just that thing. It's, it's the Jaguar hood ornament where yeah. does it serve to the overall function of the vehicle? Absolutely not. <laughs> is it beautiful and lust worthy? Absolutely. Yeah. And seat clamps, yeah. like I know, let, let me tell you something about seat clamps. They can cause lots of problems. I had a seat yeah. clamp issue in a bikepacking event or not event, but a bikepacking trip. And then later it came to, to bite at the worst possible time. So I mm. personally love the seat post clamp. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up. But yeah. um, to wrap this up, I think we have to talk about Philly. Um, Philly deserves its own episode um, with all of the characters involved, but I think you were an essential character in that launch. And I think you had a very unique experience. Um, What went into the Philly bike expo for you and for rodeo labs to create a successful launch for this bike? Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, there were a lot of players. I mean, we, we worked as a team with, uh, you know, uh, Ridge supply and paper trail uh, out in Philly. So uh Man, I don't know. I I think Stephen approached me about the idea of doing a CNC plywood slip fit flat pack booth as just a design uh, experiment, I guess. It was just a challenge. 
And it was just, I guess it was the perfect evolution to, to launch the Trail Donkey 4 by designing a booth with something that we had no experience doing, uh, arguably no right to, to learn how to design this thing and send it to a CNC shop in Philly. And we started that project, it was like three weeks before the show. Uh, and I, I think it was the perfect cap for, for that product launch just kind of exploring, okay, what are our capabilities now? Okay. Do some research on how do you, how do you even begin making something like that? Or what are some design intricacies you need to take into account for slip fit plywood like that? Um, and it was just a fun project. It was a lot and it was stressful, but it was fun. And it's something that I think we're always going to look back on fondly of, of man, that launch just fit the product so well. Um, and the booth was so cool. And I mean, all weekend people around the show were coming up to us and were like, Oh man, I heard about your guys' booth. And it was like, Oh yeah. You know, blush a little bit, but you know, it was, yeah. it was just something where, okay, I guess we're going to learn how to do this now. And it was, it was perfect. I think you in particular maybe had some time to reflect when you finally got on your seat that would take you home. What was that sort of moment of reflection like when you kind of finished the finished the task and were, were were ready to go home with this experience sort of soaking in? It was well. First, I was ready for sleep. I, I was <laughs> on the plane. I couldn't even sleep on the way back because it was that perfect hybrid of exhausted but energized, and you know, felt like you've been up for thirty six straight hours and. Um, it was, it was kind of funny. So we finished breaking the booth down and packing it up. And it was just this weird, like a switch went off and it was just like, Oh, all right. I guess that's over. Okay. Well, like, and, and that was kind of it. It was, it was just a weird moment for me where we got on the plane. We all made it to the airport in one piece. All of our luggage got checked on the airplane. It, yeah. It was this. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't even hit me right away. I don't think, but um, yeah, it was just, it was just weird how it was like, Oh, that worked. You know? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was kind of it. So yeah. It, and that's kind of how rodeo is. It's like, there's no way this is going to work. Well, all right. We mostly made it work. Okay, cool. And we just know that that's yeah. how it's going to work. And there's an element of chaos to it. And I think that that's kind of how we operate in that you know, monster garage style where it's like, all right, we got two weeks. Let's, let's flip this thing around. And, you know, yeah, it's all, it's all controlled chaos. So I must ask, and this is kind of a tricky question, but you know, everybody who's still listening to this podcast at this point, surely will be asking it. When will this bike be available to ship out and to be ridden on the, on the roads? Ah, yes. That is a very valid question. So, uh, all this coming, knowing the fact that there's another outbreak of COVID currently happening and that anything can possibly happen in the world of manufacturing. Um, our, our new manufacturing partners are much more reliable. They've delivered everything on time to this point. So, uh, we're very confident in the lead times, but, um, we are expecting to receive sizes 54, 56, and 58 in... Did you say, did you say 56? You have a friend? 
that's a 56 a friend yeah okay so those are yeah. going to be march and then uh sizes 52 and 61 are the last to go to tooling so we're expecting those in april this is exciting times i mean i'm just so excited to see these bikes out as much as i of course am a little bit excited too i know they're so cool i just want them here yeah it's just it's time it's ready um yeah we're i'm so excited to see your baby in the wild that's really all <laughs> our baby it's all of our babies yeah. everybody's baby yes it is all of um, rodeo's baby yeah what 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 is just so exciting to me is the fact that this bike is really what we've talked about it's a culmination of everything it's a culmination of feeling like you can adventure feeling like you can be fast it's just better at all of those things that make rodeo rodeo. Yeah. So I, I guess you asked me earlier and I, I was rude and didn't reciprocate the question, but I mean, is that kind of what you would say it um, represents to you or what, what is TD4 to Logan? TD4 to me is inspiration to continue growing what I do as a cyclist, as you mentioned, you've got all of these places to bolt on bags, which makes me just want to bolt on bags and go for it. The integrated cockpit makes me want to just make this bike as fast as possible and race crits as fast as I can. Um, as you know, I've been racing crits on this bike currently, and I will say the Trail Donkey 3's limitations, the, there are some when it comes to tight corners. So I'm mm. excited to sort of push that wheelbase in and really see what, what I can do. It, it's this new frontier of possibilities yeah. that I think is, is really cool and really new for me as someone who's been riding the same bike on every terrain in every ride for the last three years. So I'm, I can't wait. That was romantic. That was lovely. You know, um, one of, one of the, if you can get away with it, probably one of the most aerodynamic things you can do is load an empty full frame bag onto your TD4 and race a crit. Yeah. Yeah. We saw this. There's the, the arrow frame bags are becoming a thing. Yes. There's like a fairing, right? Yes. Yep. And you know, UCI probably will say something about it, but yeah, they're just um, going to, I don't think my local crit will be governed by the UCI. <laughs> <laughs> plus i'll just say that i rode there and then it'll be like cancel it out i'll have like the miles in the legs yeah and, yeah you know, yeah i wrote what else are you i do rode here else? from california so just yeah. let me i don't want to you know get these bags all the way off of these four bolts because yeah, and... then i then i got to do the whole thing and then put it back on and you know the deal anyways drew thank you so much for dropping by for this chat i hope we can get you on the podcast again you've got you got a voice for radio <laughs> <laughs> face for radio maybe uh yeah no i i i hope uh it was fun i i'm looking forward to being on the podcast more and i i hope i can continue to i don't know maybe be interesting maybe just kill some time maybe just throw in some thankless uh sponsor placements or uh shameless uh sponsor placements so yeah yeah I'm excited. Well, you were sure interesting today. We covered a lot of ground and and thank you for for telling us a little bit about yourself and a lot about the bike. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Logan. So, we heard from him. It was a great chat. I really enjoyed talking to him. He is that humble guy that's sort of quick to push away accolades accolades and push away sort of admiration for what he's done um, but i think it, it was really cool to hear him talk about how involved he was in the process so my question to you Stephen, 
is what was it like going into that sort of trusting him with it and beginning the conversation of what the new bike would look like? Uh, well, it wasn't difficult to trust Drew, uh, again, because he's been around for so long. And at some point, uh, you just know that, you know, you know, who's on your team and you know, who, who cares sort of as much as you do about something. Um, so it, it, trust is not the issue. I think, um, there is a process when you start maybe a company and in, you know, in the beginning, it's just me kind of doing everything and owning everything and wearing all the hats. And then the company gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And even without training, you arrive at the conclusion that like, you've got to start giving hats away uh, or you'll only ever be as big or effective or good at, at what a single person can do. So basically you can't grow uh, doing everything. So, you know, we're eight years and we're going on nine years now um, into this thing. And it's, it's always been a process of slowly trusting people and, and handing over pieces of responsibility uh, and then just hoping, you know, and trusting that people are going to take that and run with it and, and do what needs to be done. And I mean, we're at a point now as a company overall that the team here absolutely does that across the board. Everybody has things they own and, and in a lot of ways, I don't really know what everybody does every day, um, but I know that everybody is just kind of killing it. Um, like I'll, I'll go down into paint um, when I when I peel myself away from the desk and, and I'll see Ryan and Poncho down there just masking and working on a frame. And I'm like, just look at all these different frames and different, different stages of coding. And it just kind of blows my mind that that's happening down there. And I don't, I didn't tell them what to do. I didn't tell them how to do it. I'm like, they've, they've been learning, they've been gaining competency. They've been building processes. Uh, you know, we have workflows that never existed that all of a sudden we can, we can work with a customer, figure out what they want to paint, work up a document, hand it off to this, hand it off to that. And then out the other end comes this beautiful object. And like, I didn't do any of it. I didn't do any of it anymore. So you get more and more comfortable with the fact that like, I didn't, I didn't do any of that. I, I still am like the steward of what goes on here, but I'm not the doer of so many things that rodeo does. So Drew, you know, with this bike, it, it is different, right? Like there's nothing that'll ever be more of my baby than the trail donkey because like, I'm just sentimental and that's why rodeo got to exist beyond um, this sort of, you know, team pet project, uh, wild community thing. And it turned into like, well, I have a job now. And so do, you know, seven other people. And that's really because the donkey, um, and it, it's been the platform that I've had all of my personal adventures on. And so it's, it's kind of like a kid, it's kind of like your kid, even though it's just this object. Um, so when you, when you decide, like, I need to share, ownership of that with somebody else uh, or it will only be as good as I am and and I'm I'm not that good maybe uh, at you know designing a bike and really working through top to bottom what it is um, I'm just kind of an idea guy and you need a nuts and bolts person and in the past I worked with out of house nuts and bolts people out of house engineer out of house designer out of house tooling out of house production and rodeo is slowly pulling all of that all of it uh, and we're not we're not 100 percent, but we're pulling it all in-house as much as we can that's where all of our resources are going now as a company uh, so drew has been gaining that competency of 
we're designing our own bikes now, not just our own bikes, our own products. You know, we have headsets and hubs and all these other things that we think it's important to control. Um, and, and it finally came time, you know, because of what happened uh, in, you know, 2020 and 2021 to, to redo the donkey. Uh, and Drew had been working on that personal growth that was required to be able to design a bike. So when the process needed to begin, Drew was ready. And so the trust is there and then the skills are there and they may be untested and there may be sort of doubt and, and like, can I do this? We all had that. But this was the time to hand it over. Um, and so I really just needed to say, here's how I feel about what I, what I want the bike to be. Here's what it will always be and we can never let go of. And then here, you know, some opportunities, ideas I have for how it can grow. And then also Drew and other people here, you know, everybody got to weigh in, but um, what do you think it should be? Let's put our ideas together, hand them to Drew. And then I, you know, what's going to happen? We, we don't know until the drawing started appearing. Uh, and then they did. Uh, and that was magic, you know? Yeah. So now reflecting on the whole process, uh, how do you think the feelings of getting the TD4 out to market compares to the feelings of getting TD3 out to market, given the difference in development, the difference of status, the difference of ownership? How would these two sort of timeframes compare? Oh, well, in terms of satisfaction and like excitement, I mean, the four is, is the zenith of that for us currently, because we can look at all of it and see our DNA in all of it. And, and our DNA is in previous bikes. It's funny, the, the release of the four doesn't make the TD3 less good. But in terms of where did those ideas come from? And where does that DNA come from? Uh, you can, when you can look across a room at the person sitting next to you, you know, 10, 20 feet away or whatever it is and say, it all came from basically this room. Uh, there's still some collaboration. We still need some, some plug-in skill sets to, to really finalize a bike, but really the big ideas and, and, the, and most of the really, really, really fine details. When that comes from within the sense of pride, uh, and empowerment is like, you just immeasurably greater than when you were you were trying to work through you know a remote relationship or an offsite relationship uh, and in in what becomes even more important than that is that you aren't filtering your ideas as much through somebody else's biases or priorities and whenever you partner and work with somebody else developing something there's always some give and take on, on like, what are your priorities and what's there? So if you're leaning on your manufacturer to help you suss out details, they're trying to prioritize what they want as a manufacturer, which is like, it, they want it to be easy to make and they want to make a great margin when they're making it. But in-house, I don't really have to think and advocate for my manufacturer. We just need to think about what does Rodeo want and advocate for ourselves and put that in the bike and then, and then sort of demand that from the people that we're working with on production. So... We have, I, I think, probably the most pure representation of what does a Rodeo Lab bike want to be with this, you know, more than we've ever had previously. Um, so I think everybody feels really proud about that. Yeah. So last question. What does it feel like to ride? At this point, you've <laughs> taken it to Oaxaca. You've ridden yeah, yeah. the Jones um, Pass Loop, that the infamous Jones Pass Loop. You've ridden it around town. Um, what What's the feel? What What is that first ride impression? Yeah. 
uh, well, you know, there, there is always a placebo of getting a new bike, um, and then, you know, or a new wheel set or anything. And you're like, this is definitely the best thing I've ever ridden just because I'm so excited. I remember I got my first zip wheels and I went out and I smashed this hill climb, you know, PR that I used to have. And, and like mathematically speaking, there's no way those wheels got me up that climb faster or at least that much faster. But I was so out of my mind, excited about these super premium wheels that I destroyed my PR. So you have to always be honest about the placebo effect of like, it's new and exciting. Um, and I, I have to ride them back to back. So I have to like take a TD4 and then ride the TD3 and then ride the Flanimal and ask myself over a short and long period of time, what's it like to go from one bike to the next to the next? Um, so first ride on the TD4 is just all euphoria because you look down and every every line is new that you're staring at and you're like, this is just a beautiful object. And, you know, they did the inception on me with the integrated cockpit, which I was super resistant about. I was like, we don't need to do that. That's just a stupid industry trend and makes a bike harder to build and service and you can't try. You know, I was the skeptic on all that stuff. And Drew was the one who was championing it. And I'm like, yeah, but I think we could do it and not have to compromise um, on the people who also want to do things the more traditional way. So we, of course, made it do both. But I was in Armenia when they got the prototype. And I said, honestly, just build it however you want to build it when it gets here and ride it as much as you can. Don't wait for me. So they built it. And then you know I get back and they hand it to me. And of course, they built it all integrated. And I was like, well, this is not the way that I would build my bike, but whatever. And I start riding it. And I'm like, oh, wow, this bike feels really fast and beautiful because uh, you're just staring down and there's nothing cluttering your field of view. So I think one of my first impressions was this bike feels visually lighter and and just just philosophically faster because it's it, everything about it is is streamlined. And, you know, the old donkey is kind of a uh, an intentionally chunky design that was meant to say this is rugged. It's going to be dependable. It's not going to it's not going to break. And that was a visual statement that you need to make as a young company. Uh, and now we're making this this visual statement that says donkeys can also be fast if you want them to be. Um, because I know that people wrote our bike off because it just looked, people say, is that an e-bike? Uh, no, but if people think that, then we're not telling a good story that it can be fast. So it was really fun to get on a donkey and think, oh my God, this bike is so fast. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels fast. Yeah. Is it faster? Uh, you know, you'll get to decide that for yourself. I do ride them back to back, my three and my four, and... I think one of my first impressions when I went from the four to the three was this didn't, this bike doesn't all of a sudden suck. I like this bike is still as good as it's ever been. And when I put the same wheels and the same tires on the three and the four, they both get up and go and feel really good. But you, yeah, I also can't get around the fact that like the four built up overall two pounds lighter than my three which has a really nice Eckhart group set and Levante wheels and beast components. Like there isn't a lot of nicer stuff that you can put on my three, but still somehow between paint and frame weight, it's light and that feels nice. So those were some of my early impressions. Yeah. Well, we will be filling the podcast and journal with future impressions. I know I'm very excited and I've got some plans to try to put it through some speed tests. Um, more on this later, but um, for now, I think you're, this And you're is... going to be one of the first people that's going to have the four, 
you know, you'll have the the next batch of, of uh, initial frames out of the, the initials 56 tooling is going to go to, you know, factory riders. And, and then after that, it's working towards, you know, delivering customer orders in March, late March. So you'll, you'll have yours before then, but yeah, it's going to go to you and some other people who ride 56 and then it's going to be sponsored riders who ride 54s and 52s, et cetera. So you don't have to wait long. And no. I, I'm dying to know what you think, because you can ride a bike faster than I can. Yeah. Well, I don't, don't sell yourself short. You're, you're quite a fast bike rider and that's something that people don't know and we should change that perception. But, um, I think we're, well, I'm going to take it to uh, unbound this year, uh, if I get in, uh, and, uh, I'm going to yep. do single speed just as like what's left to do at unbound unbound number seven for me. Uh, and I think just taking all the gears away is like the final, <laughs> the final, the final boss for me. Uh, yeah. so we'll see, you know, as long as my stomach doesn't uh, turn itself inside out, how quick can I go? Single speed at unbound will be a good test of speed for me. Yeah. Well, can't wait. So much adventure ahead, and we all are very excited to be doing it on the TD4. That's all for this week. Um, next week, we're going to, or I should say in two weeks, we'll be trying to get out our next episode. We've got some guests lined up. We've got some interesting features that we're hoping to put together. And, well, I, for one, hope you all have enjoyed this episode and hope you'll tune in again for these regular episodes where we talk about rodeo, we talk about the bike world, we talk about adventure. And we really try to, you know, get at some deeper stories and some deeper aspects of what we all love. Thanks, Stephen, for taking the time to give your first impressions and talk about the process. Yeah. Thanks, Logan, for taking the reins. It's, it's 2023. So giddy up. Giddy up. Thank you again to Drew for the interview and see you next time. Oh.